You're just laughing at the fireworks. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very festive episode for its birthday celebration extravaganza episode <laughs> with fireworks. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Paige. And I'm Megan. And this is Spooky Science Sisters. Hello, you're listening to Spooky Science Sisters, a podcast where we present to you a science-based and probably very giggly discussion on all things strange and unusual. We went to New Orleans for Paige's 30th birthday, so in honor of that, we thought it would be fun to do a New Orleans-focused episode, especially since we did a haunted history tour that claims that 90% of participants have paranormal experiences on their tour. But of course, spoiler alert, we did not see any ghosts. Also, if you hear weird noises in the background or a popping noise, it is Diwali tonight. And a lot of neighbors are setting off firecrackers. So that's what it is. First, though, we get to do something spooky. So Paige, what is your something spooky for this episode? So I had one from, I don't know, several weeks ago when we were originally going to record this. And I'm trying to remember exactly what happened. But if I remember correctly, I had been like up in bed and... Elliot like thought he heard somebody upstairs or something and then like Ari started barking and I had like started to fall asleep. So I was like just barely dozing off and he like busted through the door in the bedroom. I was like oh, looking no. around and I was like, what? And he was apparently panicked because he thought he had heard somebody walking around upstairs and like Ari had barked. So it freaked him out. Um I was oblivious. I was basically yeah. asleep. So so it's like for sure the ghost, though. Definitely our ghost has <laughs> returned. <laughs> Fully like walking around and sounding like a person. Yeah. yeah. So <laughs> more Yay. to come on that in the future, I'm sure. <laughs> um, Megan, what's your something spooky? Mine is about being in New Orleans. So we stayed in this super amazing Airbnb. It was like a hundred year old house. And apparently at one point had been either it was built or was owned by like a jazz musician. And yeah, it it was just really awesome. Paige can attest to Yeah, it, it was being, amazing. It was probably one of yeah. the best Airbnbs I've ever seen. Yeah, in. it was just like really beautiful. It had like the original floors. We all had our own rooms and everything was super nice. Uh, but the last night that we were there and like to be fair, by this point, I was like very sleep deprived. <laughs> and it was like late at night. But as we were falling asleep, we had our door closed to our room. Everyone else was already asleep. And I asked people after the fact, I was like, oh, did anybody get up to use the bathroom or anything? You're just laughing at the fireworks. <laughs> It's a very festive episode for its birthday celebration extravaganza episode <laughs> with fireworks. <laughs> um, but anyway, confirmed that everybody had stayed in bed. No one had gotten up. Although I guess I don't really trust like a hundred percent that Elliot or Trent wouldn't be fucking with me. So who knows? But as I'm falling asleep, it sounded like there were dog toenails clicking on the wood floor outside of our room, like almost like. Yeah, like if you have hardwood floors and you hear your dog like walking down the hall towards you. And I don't know, I was like sort of half asleep. So it's possible that I was more asleep than I thought. And that's all it was. Didn't like Claire or Sarah say that they thought they heard it too? I don't think so. Okay, I could be making that up. Yeah, I don't think anyone else meant. I think they just like were already asleep. So I don't know how gotcha. Sarah would have heard it. She was downstairs. Yeah, <laughs> Although she fair. was directly below us. So... I guess she could have heard it from above. But the other thing that crossed my mind was like maybe something was up on the roof scrabbling around and it just sort of like sounded like it was outside of our door or there were just like rats in the house. <laughs> it was like rat nails, which is also very possible. Very possible. <laughs> it was a very nice Airbnb, but like I sort of assume that just like, you know, most There's Airbnbs rats in New Orleans 
you know, there's mice or some sort of critters that get into the house at some point. So, yeah. So, but also it could have just been a ghost dog. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Uh, But the other thing that we wanted to talk about briefly, and this will sort of come up throughout the episode because Paige has, we're talking about some of the the places that uh, the tour went to, but... We did go on this haunted history tour. Uh, unfortunately, my 30, going on 35-year-old body decided it had had enough about 15 <laughs> minutes into the tour. <laughs> and I felt very sick. So I had to go back to the Airbnb, which is very sad. But I did get a really good nap. So that was my something spooky was the ghosts apparently made me too sick to finish the tour. <laughs> but what I did hear from like the 10 minutes that I was there, five minutes that I was there listening to this guy talk was like the second, because we were very curious going into this, like 90% of people have a paranormal experience. And then as this guy is like talking about what paranormal things that people might see, he's like, you might take a photo and you might see an orb in it. (laughs) You might see a phantom mist and it's like, or it's fucking dusty here and you're going to old dusty places. (laughs) Right. And then my favorite was the, if you smell sulfur or tobacco and Mm, nobody is smoking near you. And it's like, we're in a city, an old city. Like you're going to smell a lot of weird things, including sulfur and tobacco. <laughs> like but, everyone, everyone then saw a ghost or, or at least had a had a paranormal experience. Yeah, while like we were on I the tour. can 100% guarantee that you smelled sewage at some point walking sure. around on that right. tour. Right. And it was not ghost farts. It was <laughs> <laughs> It was just regular old people shit from the city of New Orleans. <laughs> regular <laughs> that being said i would at least like to give props to our tour guide because he was a lot of fun and i thought the information while most of it was questionable information was presented well and like it made for it made for a good hour or two hours or how long however long it was so it was fun but yeah it was like a two-hour tour so yeah he had a lot of content to deliver and he was he like did. yeah very friendly upbeat guy so So that was fun. (laughs) Okay. So haunted tour, did not see a ghost, possibly heard a ghost dog in the Airbnb. (laughs) I also, one more thing I wanted to add because I did think it was kind of funny. So there's a part of the tour where they recommend taking a photo because obviously they want you to see something while you're there. Yeah. And so I took a photo and right after I started to take a photo and as I was taking it, my phone died, which like spooky was dying anyway. So that's why it died. But (laughs) (laughs) it just died. But uh, Claire did get a photo and he had mentioned that like there have been several or like a lot of people who have been on this tour and after the tour started having issues with their phones. Oh, yeah. And then, like, weirdly enough, like, Claire had a bunch of issues with her phone while we were in New Orleans, and you've had a lot of issues since we got back. And Mm -hmm. I was, like, I had, like, a day or two where my phone was acting sort of weird. So I'm sure it was more just that, like, we were traveling back and forth and on and off, like, a plane and, you know. Yeah. I think we just, like, had too many devices on the Airbnb's Wi-Fi (laughs) for the amount of, like, bandwidth that they had because it were eight of us there like all with smartphones and i'm sure there were like ipads or whatever else and obviously there were like smart tvs connected to it as well so i think just like my phone was like what the fuck is going going on on? and and i didn't have great (laughs) cell service where we were located so i think it like sort of freaked out but i yeah it did take like i don't know it was at least a week afterwards that i was like i don't know what happened to you there but (laughs) it wasn't good So I suppose if if that was considered a paranormal experience, then the three of us did. Yeah. Have. Messed up our phones. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. Spooky. So spooky. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so first, we'll start with some New Orleans history because that's what we do. 
The city of New Orleans was founded by the French in 1718 and purchased by the U.S. in 1803 as part of the Louisiana Purchase. And basically, the whole point of this enormous purchase of land was to get New Orleans because the Mississippi and the port of New Orleans was critical to ferrying goods and supplies to the inland United States, where I guess at that point it was like still territory out there, but whatever. Uh, But it remains a major port city. And obviously people have been in the area for a really long time before the French arrived and claimed it in 1682. Indigenous people have been living in that region for at least 10,000 years. Although apparently if you ask our tour guide, no one wanted anything to do with the area until white people arrived. Oh, yeah, he definitely said that. <laughs> that was like a little bit of a sketchy part. I was like, mm, no, like, yeah, they might not have had like permanent settlements on the swamps, but they were for sure like in the area doing things. So <laughs> <laughs> yeah, here's anyway, the start of the tour was a little rocky. <laughs> I'll yeah, that. yeah. And unfortunately, that's like the only part that I saw. But long story short, with such a long and diverse history, there have been a lot of spooky stories that have accumulated over the years and it's like exactly what you would expect when there's like 400 year old buildings just like in the city on the rigs. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah so like i said uh this might shock all of you they claim new orleans is one of the most haunted cities in america i do feel like we can sort of blanket debunk most everything by pointing out that Pretty much everyone is walking into that city with the predisposed notion that it's haunted. So there's this huge confirmation bias and they play into it big time. There's like vampire shops and voodoo shops and Mm -hmm. witch supply shops and all this stuff and all these haunted tours. Mix in a few street, a few streets, a few drinks (laughs) on Bourbon Street (laughs) and you've got ghost stories. Exactly. So we are going to start where a lot of people start, which is with the story of Madame Delphine LaLaurie and the LaLaurie Mansion. Uh, So who was she? I'm sure most of you are already sort of familiar with this. So I'm not going to, I don't know, beat a dead horse with like a ton of the super detailed background stuff. But... Uh, Marie Delphine Lallory is one of New Orleans' most famous and, according to a lot of sources, most gruesome spooky characters. She is the inspiration for, at least, Kathy Bates' character in season three of American Horror Story, although they've, like, embellished or made up a lot of details um, to go with her in that, which importantly is the best season and you need to watch it now that we've been to New Orleans together. Yeah, I will. And seen the house. <laughs> I know. Now we have a, a picture in front of it. I know. But Delphine was a socialite married to Dr. Leonard Lewis Nicholas Lallarie, because apparently we all have to have like four names back then. Lewis was her third husband. Her first two died. I did double check about like whether or not there were any suspicious circumstances with that. And there were not like they died in regular ways to die for the time. (laughs) I think one of them got sick and one of them might have died going away to war. I don't know. So yeah, I I looked into that for you and it didn't seem like there was anything suspicious there. So she had considerable wealth that she inherited from her parents and from her previous husbands. Lewis, in comparison, was 16 years younger than her and had only recently moved to New Orleans when they met in 1825. And he actually got her pregnant out of wedlock and then they got married when their kid was like five months old, I think. So I don't know, a little, little bit of scandal there. And like some of the sources sort of implied like, you know, that he was pursuing her and like potentially got her pregnant on purpose because he wanted to like use her to get a leg up in society. But who knows? So she used her wealth to build herself a two-story mansion at 1140 Royal Street, which she also managed herself. So she was like the head of the household and, you know, took care of everything for it. So we start out with some real like girl boss energy in charge of her own money. uh, And now it's going to take a real 
downhill turn. <laughs> womp womp. Womp womp. It always does. <laughs> yes. It sounds like there were some problems in the marriage, maybe because there was a power imbalance between them. No one knows for sure. But what we do know is that Delphine did ask the courts for a separation in 1832. So like right after she built that house. Um, That doesn't seem to have been granted, though, or it didn't stick because they definitely lived together when everything goes down in 1834. So the night of April 10th, 1834, a fire broke out in the kitchen at 1140 Royal Street. And I definitely put 1140 Royal House here. (laughs) So (laughs) notes weren't going great earlier either. Uh, But the story goes that when I don't know if there are firefighters there. It was just like neighbors or other people who lived in the area. But when they arrived at the scene, they saw Delphine working alone to save her furs and her jewelry from the fire, which was unusual and raised some red flags because normally she should have had her slaves helping her get things out of the building. But they were nowhere to be found. And people who were gathering were panicking because they knew that the slave quarters were located above the kitchen. uh, And some people, or one source mentioned, like they knew that she liked to keep them chained up at night. So they were eager to get in and save them. And we'll talk about that a little bit more in a few minutes. So when people were finally able to gain access by breaking down the doors, they were shocked by what they found And the quote from the newspaper reads, Seven slaves, more or less horribly mutilated, suspended by the neck with their limbs stretched and torn from one extremity to the other. They had been confined for several months in the situation from which they had thus been providentially rescued and had merely been kept in existence to prolong their sufferings and to make them taste all that the most refined cruelty could inflict, not infect. Yeah. So not great. Like basically what they're saying is that she was torturing her slaves and keeping them locked up in a single room. The papers also report that the slaves were starving and that they were found wearing spiked iron collars around their necks. So as is often the case with stories like this, there are a lot of shifting details depending on what source you look at. So It's a little bit difficult to sort out fact from fiction in this case. Although it is easy to just like take the ghost stuff and be like, well, that's all fiction. (laughs) (laughs) So there's at least that that I've got going for myself. So one of these shifting details is that there were previous reports of her mistreatment of her slaves. Uh, Basically, it's just really hard to find out like whether those are confirmed or there's any kind of like court or other records. There is a book that was written by a woman named Harriet Martineau who interviewed people after the fact. And in that she writes that people claimed Madame Lallery's slaves looked singularly haggard and wretched. Another story that Martineau records says that Lallery chased a young girl with a whip after the girl accidentally tugged Delphine's hair while brushing it, and the girl either fell or chose to jump off of the roof and died from her injuries. Witnesses apparently saw this happen and saw LaLaurie dispose of the body. Um, Apparently, she was fined and forced to sell nine of her slaves, but... And this was a lot of a lot of sources mentioned this. It seems like officials looked the other way when she had family and friends buy those slaves and then give them back to her after the fact and she covered their expenses. So like ultimately she didn't really have any punishment at all and they didn't like make sure that that was enforced. For the most part, it seems like any reports of mistreatment weren't taken seriously or officials just turned a blind eye. So Nobody bothered to look or cared, you know, what was going on behind closed doors before the fire and before they found all of these people. Um, Another claim that's difficult to confirm is that an elderly woman chained in the kitchen was the one who set the fire, either as a suicide attempt in an attempt to retaliate against Lallery and or expose her to the public. Um, Again, the details shift depending on what source you read. 
Uh, as for why Lallery did these horrible things, there's a lot of instances where people claim that she tortured her slaves to get revenge for the murder of one, if not both, of her parents by a slave. But that's actually false. That is not how they died. She did have an uncle who was killed by his slaves in 1771, but that was before she was even born. So why would she be so affected by that? Right. That said, she was alive during the 1791 to 1804 Haitian slave revolt and an uprising that took place in New Orleans in 1811. And it would be fair to say that those events made a big impression on slave owners, of which Lowry was one, who feared a repeat. So after the 1811 uprising, over 100 slaves, so this is this is outside of Lowry, this is like how the city responded to this 1811 uprising, but it said that over 100 slaves were beheaded and their heads were displayed on poles all along the road heading into the city. They also hung corpses on the city gates. Like, what the fuck? <laughs> right. Just, yeah. So Lowry was living in New Orleans and she was around 24 years old at the time. I don't know, at that point, she could have been on her first or second husband because I think she got married really young. But it's like she would have seen this like this. People like her probably would not have batted an eye to this being the response to this attempted revolt. There was a trend towards harsher punishments, often public ones for slaves who disobeyed. So Lallery may have been following the trend of the time, but obviously, you know, taking it much, much too far. That said, the things that she was doing, because a lot of the reports, like, you see things like, oh, she, you know, shaved off a woman's skin to try and create a human caterpillar, or she turned a woman, like, into a crab woman, or there's all sorts of just very crazy things which don't really match up with reports of the time and, like, seem to be exaggerations, Things like putting slaves in shackles and collars, even spiked ones at night to like keep them from leaving their quarters wasn't an unheard of thing. So this is where I I have one question written down, but I actually have several questions. (laughs) Okay. Well, and mostly I'm just curious if you read anything about it because I did look up a couple and like I couldn't find much information myself. Mm But during our tour, some of the things that were brought up were things like her, like, I think turning the mansion into like a, not a bed, well, maybe like a bed and breakfast or something like that. And like serving people's brains to people like, like Sweeney Todd style. Uh, I feel like that's just a scene that happens in the American Horror Story season. Cool. (laughs) Because I'd read nothing. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. I didn't, I didn't look too hard admittedly for that one. I honestly just saw the, I have my phone up with all the notes I took during the tour. Yeah. Um, so that was one, uh, Mm -hmm. you already talked about the skinless faced people Mm -hmm. there. It was one that like this one, I actually was curious if you had read anything about. So yeah, if you look at photos of the mansion, like one Mm -hmm. of the windows is bricked in. Okay. And the tour guide had said that there were um there was like definitely a man at some point who would like or he said there was definitely a man at some point who had jumped out of the window um Hmm. there may have been a second person that he claimed had jumped out the window as well but then apparently like the window just started breaking Hmm. like they'd replace it and it would break and they would replace it and it would break this is like in modern times well, yeah, I mean, I don't I don't know when this happened, honestly. Okay. <laughs> but so they just like decided to brick the window in instead of like putting a glass pane in. And like it's definitely bricked. Like there's definitely a window that does not have that that's not a window anymore. Um so I didn't know if you knew why that or if you had nope. read anything about that. I read nothing about windows. <laughs> okay. All right. Repeatedly breaking. I have two more for you. <laughs> Great. <laughs> uh, so the first is that apparently like she had had people like under the floorboards and hmm. that they were still alive when she mm-hmm. put them under there. And 
owners after her kept hearing screams and they like assumed it was like the ghosts who Mm -hmm. were at the house. And then they ended up finding out supposedly that there were people under the floorboards and that they were alive. Jesus Christ. Actually screaming. And according to our tour, there was forensic evidence that they were alive because they had evidence that like they were eating each other so that they could survive. But I looked all of this up and I didn't see anything about it. So yeah. I don't know. So I think that's just one of the rumors. I definitely read about something about the floorboards and either they like pull up the floorboards in that part of the house and they find skeletons underneath and they, you know, that there's scratch marks on the back of the board. So mm-hmm. people were in there while they were alive. I also have, yeah, like seen the variation where it's like as they're, as they flee the city, because <laughs> spoiler alert, they get away with it and they leave. <laughs> um, that they like pulled up the f- floorboards in one of the rooms and yeah, like closed people in to try and hide what they'd done. But I don't think that's accurate. Like, newspapers were publishing about (laughs) finding the room with the people like in the days after this happened so like people knew uh what was happening and yeah i don't know it just seems like that's just sort of stories that have popped up over the years that one i found particularly interesting because he claimed that there was like forensic evidence of cannibalism and gotcha. I'm like, was there though? Was there though? <laughs> and I didn't find anything. So that, yeah. Yeah, I didn't see anything about them uh, eating each other to stay, stay okay. alive. Yeah, that, that okay. sounds like bullshit. <laughs> <laughs> so then the last one is that there were apparently stories of them finding some like failed, like pretty horrific what they believe to be like sex change experiments in the house. Yeah. I mean, to me, that just sounds like, you know, fucked up stories that people have started telling. I've seen those as well that, you know, they took off male genitalia and attached it to women or like took off the breasts of women and attached them to males. I don't know. That just all sorts of sounds like made up sort of panic about what was really happening or like yeah. trying to make it sound as horrible as possible. So I don't know. <laughs> that was one of the ones that I wrote off as like being just too far fetched to be real. Yeah. Um, I do wonder though, if stories like that, where there's sort of like weird medical procedure things happening, if they're related to there being rumors that her husband Lewis was involved or that he was like the driving force behind this whole torture operation. Mm-hmm. So people say that he was conducting medical experiments on the slaves, or that at a minimum, she was like so upset about their marriage that she takes it out on the slaves. Got it. Um, the only thing that does like lend a little bit of credence to at least him being involved is that when people arrive at the house and start asking to be let in so they can go rescue the slaves that are inside, he is the one who actually refused people entry to the house. So Ah. yeah, so like he's the one who doesn't want people going in there. It adds a little credence to like him potentially being the one doing bad things, but I don't know. No one's innocent in this story, basically. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so that sort of brings me to my final point, which is that very importantly, so I talk about embellishments, all this stuff, 0% of that is me trying to downplay that this was a horrible woman. Like just the fact that she owned other people and thought that that was like hunky-dory is bad (laughs) in the first place. So I'm not trying to downplay or defend any of her actions. I'm not one of those people who's like trying to prove that she's innocent because I do not think that she was. But I do suspect that there's an element of exaggeration here. And I think some of it, if not a lot of it, is to assuage the guilt of the people who were in her social circle at the time 
and like knew that they were doing some of the same things. Yeah. So she's painted as being insane and her actions are highly unusual. She's deranged. And I think it's the self-righteousness of these people who were like her friends or like, you know, in society with her because they're probably subjecting their own slaves to some horrible things. So they want to see Lila Ree as the exception. Like they're better than her. They don't do these things. Like she's the horrible one. Right. So that's just like, I don't know, sort of the only little bit of like, debunking or kind of whatever that I want to do about this. Because again, like, I don't doubt that she was guilty of horrible things. I do think that everybody was doing horrible things at the time. And they were sort of using her as a scapegoat to like, make themselves feel better about the things that they were doing. So as I mentioned before, she does get away with her crimes. She flees the night of the fire and escapes to Paris, where reportedly she lived a quiet life until she died in the 1850s. None of the correspondences that they've been able to read uh, with her children suggest, you know, any additional violence or problems. She, however, never expressed any remorse for her actions or like wrote anything that would show like an understanding that what she did was wrong, which could say that like she didn't do a lot of the things that they said that she did, but also, you know, it could just be she doesn't feel bad. She's a sociopath. <laughs> well, I mean, maybe, but also to your point, like if everyone else is doing the same thing, she maybe just didn't see it as wrong. Right. Yeah. And, exactly. Like it still is, but yeah. But she may not have seen yeah. it that way. So Anyway, hopefully that was nuanced enough to, <laughs> you know, say what I wanted to say without trying to defend horrible people. Yeah. Okay. So it's not very long uh, at all before the house starts to show up as a haunted house in various publications. By 1885, it was referred to as haunted in the historical sketchbook and guide to New Orleans as the haunted house on Royal Street. I also saw mention that people sold like postcards with it labeled as the haunted house. Also be called the haunted house by the daily, well, I don't know how to say that word, Picayune? That is Picayune? We don't know. It's one of the two of those. It's got to be. Picayune? We don't know. (laughs) It's one of those. (laughs) Uh, But anyway, they call it that in 1892. Overall, the ghost stories to me kind of see like, see, and you will probably have more to say about this since you got to go on the tour, um, are sort of generic ghost stuff, like people having fainting spells, orbs and photos, you know, phantom wailing sounds or like things moving around, even apparitions. There are some more specific stories. So apparently it was used as a uh, an apartment complex not long after the fire. And there was some sort of like murder of a tenant. But apparently aspects like it didn't actually say what those aspects were, but aspects of his demise or what he was up to before that, that made it seem like there was something supernatural going on. It was turned into a girl's school, I think, in the early 1900s. There were physical assaults on students manifesting as scratches and bruises. So obviously people thought it was Lowry herself doing of these course. things. <laughs> couldn't couldn't just be teenage girls beating up on each other and then like no. not wanting to snitch, so they blame ghosts. Here's the thing, teenage <laughs> girls are scarier than ghosts. Right. <laughs> <laughs> so that's what I'm saying. I was like, they were like for sure just like slapping or scratching the shit out of each other. And then they don't want to like be the one to rat everybody out. So they're just like, oh, it was a ghost that did it. <laughs> I know a hundred percent that I'm right. <laughs> A few extra little tidbits here. Her house is not actually her house. Uh, there's an angry mob that ransacks the house after the fire, especially once they learn, you know, what was happening inside via the newspaper articles. But they essentially destroy it, like strip out the interior. The building that stands in its place is like a refurbishment of the house. Like, I think they essentially had to rebuild it. They oh, add an extra story. That's why you asked about, like, if the window was modern day. Because, like, it wouldn't have made sense, right? Or, like, it was... Oh, like- no, I was asking about, like, whether or not, the, like, the window breaking stories were happening, like, 
in I mean, it was like times. after. It was after. Okay, like, so it was left. like they thought it was a paranormal thing or whatever. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. I miss. I guess yeah. I misunderstood the question. Well, yeah. yeah. I mean, I guess now that I okay, now that I know that detail, <laughs> and now that I'm remembering, like, yeah, they they basically destroyed this house from like the inside out. Yeah. So it would not surprise me if like the glass just got knocked out or damaged during the fire, and they were like, eh, we eh. don't want to spend money on like an attic. I was it an attic window or a regular window. Um, I don't. I don't know. I I be- don't know that he even told us. But it it is an upper level window, so like I would imagine. Gotcha. Well, it was- yeah, it must have just been a room that they just were like, nah, we don't need this yeah. window anymore. We don't right. want to spend the money to sure. fix it or whatever. That detail doesn't make me think of anything paranormal at all. <laughs> However, if it's like essentially a new house that's been rebuilt. Like, why would the new house be haunted? Great question. Yeah. Maybe the property is haunted. Sure. Fine. <laughs> <laughs> uh, our last fun fact is that the house used to be owned by Nicolas Cage, who apparently really likes New Orleans because he's got like a pyramid there that he's going to get buried in. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Uh, so uh, once again, according to our tour, he... Nick Cage buys it and then only spends like a day there before like learning the history of the house, which like that I didn't I didn't look at any uh, look at any of this up, but like seems unlikely to me that yeah, Nick Cage like, just like no buys this way. house without knowing what he's buying. Like he bought this house for a reason, but he according to this story he buys the house. He learns the history. He I believe that he even said he had some sort of like paranormal encounter of some sort, mm. um, and then after one day basically like stops going there because too scary. Um, But he owns it until he eventually declares bankruptcy and has to get the house is no longer his. Yeah. That's how I learned that Nicholas Cage had to declare bankruptcy and sell off a bunch of his assets. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Some sort of tax issues or something, I guess. Yeah. We learned something from the tour. Yes, we did. My other point is, I don't think that I I don't for one second believe that Nicolas Cage would be the type of person to be scared off by like one night of ghosts. Well, and like, I mean, I just like I said, I have a really hard time believing that he didn't know what he was buying. Yeah. You know? Oh, yeah. There's like no way that that man's lawyers were like, yeah, whatever. Right. Yeah. (laughs) So like he probably was excited about it. I would imagine. Yes. But apparently... A lot of the owners have like met untimely ends or have had really bad luck during the time that they've owned the house. None of the, you know, things that happened to them seemed really that far outside the ordinary of like normal life things that happen to people over the course of 100 years of a house existing there that's not even the original house that was there when all these horrible things happened. Uh, But yeah, but they included Nicolas Cage in this category. Like there's some sort of curse. And they're like, what's going to happen to the new owner? And it's like, probably nothing. (laughs) They're going to make some money off of it eventually because it's just like an investment property. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Well, and that was the other thing that was brought up that sort of tickled me was that the that we were told that like the house sat and I don't know if this is true, sat empty for a long time because nobody wanted to touch it. And I was like, okay, this is like the millennial dream. <laughs> like anybody would buy this house. Oh, like after he sold it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. That like it sat empty because people were like afraid of it. And it was like yeah. that's like anybody would buy that and just air like Airbnb it because yeah. like why not? Yeah. Although I guess now that I think about it, I feel like I talked some shit before being like, I would buy that house. It'd be fine. But like, I mean, it is, I think that like, because the newspapers reported it and like, there's several sources that did like, I mean, I think some of the really fucked up stuff is like, actually did happen there. And like, I guess it's a different house, but I don't know. It would still be like a little bit weird <laughs> i wouldn't buy it yeah a i wouldn't have the money to buy it but even well, if sure. i did like i wouldn't buy it but like uh-huh. anybody who's using or looking for an investment property would be smart to buy it because they know that people will pay to like go yeah. tour it or stay yeah. there or yeah yeah so um yeah okay which brings me to that apparently you can 
which I didn't think you could, but we were told that you can apparently stay there overnight. Like they are Airbnb it and that it's $666 a night. <laughs> I think this tour guide was just making shit up. I know. I want to look that up, but I, I, I haven't really looked much up if I'm being honest. I, with I mean, tour. I got the impression it was just like owned by a guy who like would let his friends and family stay there sometimes. Well, and when I had when I had originally looked to book a tour, it um all of the tours had specifically said that like you are not allowed to tour the property because like the owners don't really let people in. So mm-hmm. I was sort of surprised that Airbnb was an option, but mm-hmm. it it wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, enough of that. <laughs> <laughs> So that's the La Lurie Mansion. <laughs> Probably not haunted, but pretty fucked up history that may have been abolished to make other racist people feel better about themselves. So fuck those guys. Am I right? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you are right. I'm Eliza. And I need you to listen to me. Have you ever felt so much that you don't know where to put it all? And you wonder if anyone would notice if you screamed? Because you want to. Scream for the ones they've hurt. The ones they've taken. Scream for yourself. These are my words. My story from my perspective. Because I know you'll hear other versions. Because I want you to have a chance to believe mine. Or at least hear it. If you're getting this, it's already over. But if one of you listens, really listens, it won't be for nothing. All right. So we're talking about Lafitte's Blacksmith Shop Bar, which was named after Jean Lafitte. Uh, Lafitte was a pirate and privateer who lived in New Orleans in the early 1800s. And he's most famous in New Orleans for his fight in the Battle of New Orleans during the War of 1812. There are several buildings, parks, uh, different things named after him around the city. The bar itself was built around 1722 and is the second oldest building in the French Quarter and one of the oldest, if not the oldest, operating bars in America. And it's super cool. To that point, though, I think there's like one in Boston that claims to have been in operation for like 400 years. Yeah, it's that's why it's like it may not actually be the oldest, but it's one of the oldest. Okay, I accept that. <laughs> so it's got... Just like a you know an old blacksmith shop feel still, and I don't know, I love that place. Um, it's yeah, it's awesome. probably one of my favorite bars I've ever been to. So much like Megan's story, it's really hard to figure out what's fact, what's fiction. It's even hard to figure out like which fiction story is the most common one. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Seriously, you know, like, it's same. Really hard to figure out. So. Uh, legend has it that in early in the early 19th century, Jean and his brother Pierre ran the blacksmith shop as a front for their illegal smuggling operation. Even that, like, not even totally clear that that happened at all. But like I said, that's one of the many stories. I, I can't remember exactly what the tour, what our tour guide talked about, but it was like a totally different story as to why the Laf- the Lafites were even at supposedly at this blacksmith shop. Gotcha. But importantly, it sounds like based off of what I've read that there really isn't any evidence that the Lafitte's were ever inside of the that particular shop at all. There was supposedly a Lafitte blacksmith shop in New Orleans. However, their shop was not located at the corner corner of Philip and Bourbon, which is where the bar is located today. There's also some stories about Jean Lafitte's mistress owning a shop across the street from where the bar is located Hmm. now. And perhaps that's why this bar was, you know, stories have come up about this bar being owned by the Lafitte's at some point. Mm -hmm. But like I said, I mean, really, it sounds like nobody really knows they may never have even stepped foot inside of this particular shop <laughs> that we're now calling Lafitte's. Right. <laughs> um, but 
It is considered haunted by Jean Lafitte himself. Um, so Maybe he just liked to drink there in real life. Well, I think at that point it was still considered a blacksmith shop, though. Okay, well, never mind. Well, like, maybe he did. I mean, I suppose there's no reason he couldn't have drank there still. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, when did he say? You said the bar. There's no proof that the Lafitte's ever owned it or like even stepped foot inside of it itself. Oh, but it was a blacksmith shop. But like, right. yeah, I mean, it's believed to have been a blacksmith shop. There's just no real proof that like it was the Lafitte's blacksmith shop. Okay. So I actually ended up going onto a different tour group's website to take notes on like their haunting stories so I could get uh-huh. a couple different stories uh, and see if they were similar at all. And they really aren't. Uh, but <laughs> I was going to say, I bet they're not going to be the they same are. at all. <laughs> uh, but I'm going to talk about the one I read versus the one we went on. Okay. And so, like I said, the, the shop is supposedly haunted by Jean. Uh, people have reportedly seen full body apparitions sometimes standing in the dark just like staring at people rude yeah right like i'm trying to drink (laughs) um sometimes near the fireplace and some customers have reported seeing him near the women's restroom not clear i know why he's like always a pervert ghost in these stories right (laughs) um and like here's the thing i mean i i've only been in this bar twice and both of them were earlier in the day, so I can't speak to like what it looks like at night. But both times I actually I've been in it three times, and all three times it was like shoulder to shoulder people. So how you could yeah. even see a ghost in there, I don't really know. <laughs> <laughs> right. Like I how do you even know what's happening at all? Right. <laughs> right. Like I'm so overwhelmed. And like here's the other thing. The women's restroom is hardly big enough for one person to be there in there. Like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, like if there was a guy standing outside of it, like that wasn't a ghost. That was just like that place is so small that you've got to stand still. Right. <laughs> so I uh, yeah, that's my thoughts on that. Uh There is, however, a second ghost, and this ghost is the ghost of a woman who lives on the second floor of the bar, which, frankly, I didn't even know existed. I didn't know if you knew that there was a second floor. Yeah, I was going to say, I feel like it was one story when I was there, but sure. it looks very much like one story (laughs) to me, Uh, but supposedly there is a second floor, and legend has it that that she is the a mysterious woman um, who apparently rented the upstairs either in the 1890s or the early 1900s and um, committed suicide while she was living there. So Mm. to this day, like nobody knows her name, which is odd. Um, Mm. Convenient. Yeah. (laughs) She isn't as active as the Lafitte ghost. Um, and she isn't really seen as often. However, late at night, she is apparently known for snuggling up close to you and whispering in your ear. Great. Um, no, that's just a drunk person from the bar who managed to like get their way upstairs to where people are staying. Staying. Right. And they've just like come in for a little snuggle. Right. Right. I mean, <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Which is scarier. <laughs> Definitely <the> scarier. <laughs> uh, so to Megan's point earlier, and, uh, you know, we've, we've already come back to it, is like Lafitte's famous, like that bar is famous for, I think they call it like the voodoo daiquiri, uh, uh-huh. but it's a grape daiquiri that's made with bourbon and Everclear. And like, <laughs> trust me when I say that there is plenty of liquor in there that like, Anybody who drinks it is going to think that they're seeing ghosts. <laughs> Anybody. <laughs> yes, it's very strong. It's very tasty, but it's a very strong drink. <laughs> so <laughs> that's, that's the part. I was ready to drink two of them that night. Heck yeah. That would have been a bad choice. <laughs> <laughs> Everything I did drink was already a bad choice. <laughs> Man, if you had had a second one, you would have seen ghosts yourself. I think I would have, yeah. (laughs) I would have actually seen Ghost Dog. (laughs) Uh, So the next thing I wanted to talk about were New Orleans cemeteries. And so these aren't really, they're not ghost stories, but they're unique. And I thought it was, it just sort of fit into the New Orleans episode. So I figured why Mm -hmm. not talk about it? Do it. 
So New Orleans cemeteries are often referred to as cities of dead. Uh, They're different from a lot of the cemeteries that we're used to in the United States because the tombs are typically above ground and they're organized in a way that gives you a feeling of walking down a small city street with houses, in this case tombs, on either side of you. Uh, And there are, I read 42 cemeteries in New Orleans. I also read 13, which are very different numbers. Um, But (laughs) 13 seems a little low. I think it's closer (laughs) to 42. So I'm going to stick with that. But the oldest of those and probably the most well-known is the St. Louis Cemetery number one, which is which was established in 1789. In that cemetery is the tomb of Marie Laveau, who is known as the Voodoo Queen of New Orleans. And you guessed it, Nick Cage. Um, yeah. That is where his tomb is at. Yeah. It's also the cemetery where people claim that after she died, LaLaurie was disinterred and brought back to the United States from Paris and buried in that cemetery, and now she haunts it. Ooh. Yep. (laughs) So it is kind of a ghost story. There you go. I made it a ghost story. (laughs) Yay! (laughs) I actually went on this tour when we were in New Orleans the first time, and tour was great. Uh, I will only be able to give you like a small portion of the information that they gave me. But if you're ever visiting New Orleans, I would highly recommend checking out one of the cemetery tours. So that's my advertisement for (laughs) New Orleans cemetery tours. Um, So before this cemetery was established, there were several burial methods um, that were attempted by early settlers in New Orleans. And for over 60 years, there was only one cemetery used. It was a church cemetery and that's where everybody was buried. And it was, everybody was buried in our, in the the way that we typically would bury people in the United States. So they were dug a hole, put a casket in the ground. However, there were issues with burying caskets in the area because the water table is so high that if you dig too deep, the plot sort of gets soggy and eventually the casket can even start to float. So They sort of knew that this really wasn't going to be like a long-term solution. Yeah. Well, and even still, like, because there are still some that are buried underground. And like, even still, when there's been flooding, like from like hurricane storm surges and stuff, they've had caskets float up. Yeah. And yeah. So it's it's still a thing. (laughs) So after the Spanish took control of New Orleans in 1780, there was an influenza outbreak and then the first great fire of New Orleans. And they had really run out of room at the original uh, cemetery, which was the St. Peter Street Cemetery. Uh, And that's when they opened the St. Louis One Cemetery. The above ground vaults, which is what they started using, um, not only solved the floating casket issue, it also saves a lot of space because families can buy a vault and really all be buried together. Mm. Would you be buried in my vault? Yeah, for sure. (laughs) Um, (laughs) And there's like apparently like this rule, um, it's like an unspoken rule of like a year and a day, which is it how long they say that it takes a body to like fully de- decompose. So I see they bury you. And then after a year and a day, they can move your body. So that way there's room for like your next family member to be buried there. So that's how they're like, I <laughs> what they like. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> basically that's what they're doing. And I, I can't remember, I think, um, and I don't think I wrote it down. They were either sick. Where do they move it? I mean, they still shift it within the same vault, but you're just oh. like out of the way for like the next body to be put in. Well, okay. Um, and I don't remember, I was talking to Elliot about this last night and I, I should have looked it up, but there, it was somewhere between like six and 800 vaults within this one cemetery. Mm-hmm. And they had told us there were like, I want to say it was like tens of thousands of bodies there at this point because of the way that they're Crazy. able to like move them around. But I don't remember the exact number, so. Gotcha. So basically, like, once there's space, they just sort of, like, squish you down. Yeah, and then just put someone else there. (laughs) Um, So what do they do at the old St. Peter's Street Cemetery, you ask? Well, if you're thinking, they 
definitely didn't build anything on top of that. You would be wrong because that is exactly what they did. So when they decide to stop using the St. Peter Street Cemetery, the church fights for like keeping that as sacred land and not building on top of it. And the city says, LOL, nope, we're going to build on top of it. And they do. So now what used to be the St. Peter Street Cemetery is now the 600 block of Rampart in Burgundy in the French Quarter. There you go. So that's pretty cool. In 1972 and in the early 1980s, there was some construction being done in the area and some human remains were found. Neither group really found it necessary to report it because I don't know why. (laughs) They're just like, yeah, that's fine. (laughs) Um, But the group who found human remains in the 80s, somebody within that team came out later and said that like people were just like going home with skulls from the work site. Oh, no. They were like basically taking trophies home with them. Not great. So not great. (laughs) And then in 2011, while digging to put a pool on Vincent Marcello's property, the workers were digging and they, you know, hit something, what they believed was a coffin. So Marcello immediately contacts the state archaeological department. Uh, An archaeologist comes out. They dig and they find 13 coffins and two additional just like standalone bodies. Great. Yeah. Um, All of which were sent to LSU's forensic lab to be studied. They believed that all of the bodies came from the 1700s. Um, Okay. And in 2015... The church demanded that all of the all of the bodies that were found were given a proper burial at the St. Louis One Cemetery. Gotcha. So, well, at least there's that. Yeah. <laughs> and here's what I've learned over the years: if they say that they moved all of the bodies from a cemetery, or you know, they say that's what the plan is going to be, it is almost certainly a lie. <laughs> Like Lincoln Park in Chicago has up to thousands of bodies that are still buried there. They find them when they have to like dig things up to do zoo renovation or addition projects. Um, If you ever come across a potter's field in a city where you are, which I've like definitely lived in places that had public grassy areas or like baseball diamonds that were called potter's field. And like there's one portion of Lincoln Park that is called that. What it probably used to actually be is a graveyard for poor, unclaimed or unknown people. And the other name for them would have been Popper's Graves. And at some point, the city was like, well, either this is full or they just don't want to use it that way anymore. And they just turned it into a public park. Interesting. Yeah. I just always thought there's a lot of guys named Potter. (laughs) Nope. <laughs> All right. Well, well, that was it. That was New Orleans. Did it. I have no other thoughts other than New Orleans is super awesome. It's a city that's like just got tons of spooky history, and they really love Halloween and good food, good drinks, good music. Yeah, but like maybe if you're over the age of thirty-four, like myself. Take it easy a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> I might not be recovered yet. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up episode 53 on New Orleans history and hauntings. Tune in on Halloween to hear episode 54, our annual Halloween Yay! listener stories episode. If you like this episode, hit subscribe and share with a friend. You can find us on TikTok at Spooky Science, Twitter and Instagram at Spooky SciPod, Facebook at Spooky Science Sisters, and at our website, SpookySciencesisters.com. If you have any questions about previous topics or ideas for future episodes, email us at SpookySciencesisters at gmail.com. As always, thank you for listening and stay spooky. Spooky Science Sisters is a proud member of the Evergreen Podcasts Network. For more information or to check out other shows, please visit evergreenpodcasts.com. History is complicated. The story of human progress is long, messy, and riddled with controversies big and small. On Conflicted, 
we dive headfirst into history's most infamous events and contentious figures. We try and untangle the good from the bad, the fact from the fiction, and the monsters from the misunderstood. Was Genghis Khan a murderous butcher or a civic pioneer? Did the Allied powers go too far in firebombing the German city of Dresden at the twilight of World War II? And how did the Marquis de Sade acquire such a sinister reputation? And was any of it true? These are just a few of the tough questions we wrestle with and investigate on Conflicted. So if you love history or just enjoy a good story, please join me, your host, Zach Cornwell, for a fascinating new topic each and every month. Conflicted, a history podcast, is available on Spotify, Apple, or wherever else you get your podcasts. I hope to see you soon.